Welcome to Do A Blessing CNS Church London's podcast, sharing the good news weekly. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Even Paul said in his word to the church, Paul said, pray for us that God will grant us utterance. Um, you know, um, God makes a request and we obey and we thank God for God helping us in the name of Jesus Christ. Now we're talking about, we've been talking about eternity. We've been speaking about eternity. And one of the interesting things which was a very, which was a, um, an issue really for me, as I began to think about it because like it's been said, God said we should do a, a Thanksgiving service or a revival. And so the first thing that would naturally come to mind is that we pivot out of, or we, we, we divert a little bit out of the, um, out of the issue around eternity. And try to speak about Thanksgiving and all those kind of, you know, uh, those valid reasons, just to kind of flow with what God is intending to do. And on the other hand, also just trying to share my um, uh, my mind with you is that you know we also have um, God has said we should do revival, and from the from the um, from the clocks which I was caught from, or from the from the version from the not the version that that's the wrong word to say, but. On the part of the CNS church that I, you know, that I grew up in, you do not do revival during Lent, and you know, and it's been it's been there for over fifty years. I don't know how how, many, how long the movement has been in place, but you know, that is that. But I had one call which was quite interesting. God said that we should share with a particular church that God said they should do revival, and so I think you know when I called, I just said you know, oh, I didn't even call. I think. To pass the message across to them that God said they should do a revival, and and you know nobody called me about it again. It's not me that God spoke to, so it's not God wasn't speaking to. So you know, as far as I'm concerned, once you are they've given you that conversation, you know you deal with it and, and things like that. And so they called they called me. I was speaking to them during the week, and they called me. They said, ah. he said since and this person is quite you know they are quite older than I am. He said since we have been in the fans group. Said we have never had that we do revival in, in, in the um, during Lent. He said, but when you when the vision came to us, we just said we should just do it without the whole with everything with all the you know all, all the restrictions and things like that. And he said that we were surprised at how God moved. He said, he said then we now began to sit and ask ourselves. Is it true that you cannot do revival within Lent? But what I'm trying to say is that, so I just said to you, I said, I said don't worry, I understand you. I, I, we, by God's grace, we've been there before, because I can remember the first time we did a revival during Lent. That was a vision about revival. That was what the vision was, and we were supposed to do it, and I forgot. So somebody now reminded me, and I said, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, let's do a revival then. I said, so you know, it was it, it was quite. People were quite respectful, so people did not say no. It doesn't worth talking about all oh, things like that. So we did revive our daughter Lent, and that service was quite. Um, you know, God God did a lot, and I can remember that people. Somebody came to me and said, Pastor, we thought that when you said that you do revive our Lent, you say, how, how is it possible to do revive our Lent? It is possible. <laughs> It is possible. So God help us in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm just kind of just kind of sharing with you, you know, for me, you know, the, it just seems like there's a lot of things and I'm just wondering how do you how do you get to a point where you tie everything together as, as it were and still speak about eternity as God has given us track to and so we are talking about eternity, our reason for giving thanks. Eternity, our reason for giving thanks. See, when you say thanksgiving, you know, when you say, say thank you, 
the natural thing, except you are still growing up and you are from Nigeria, when you say, say thank you to your organization, you say thank you. But naturally in your mind, there is a question in your mind that you are asking why. So someone says, say thank you. You be, why would I say thank you? What is the reason behind saying thank you? And that is one of the things that we would begin to look at even as we we, we, we come to a place where we are um, looking at giving thanks. When we look at giving thanks, the, in scriptures, when you read through scriptures, the scriptures seem to have one dividing line in scriptures. The scriptures is is, is generally split into two. It is and at the center of scripture. Forget about your whole testament and new testament. Yes, in fact, that is that is that, that's even a good point. Because the reason why you can have whole testament and two uh, new testament is because there is before Christ and after Christ. So that means that everything you read in scripture is pointing to one answer, and that is Christ himself. So that is why you will begin to see that after the Bible will begin to, when the apostles, after Jesus had died and resurrected, the apostles will be talking as if tomorrow Jesus will come. Because as far as they are concerned, as far as they know, they, there, is no, there, is no true, there is no way to read in life ex, or the existence of this world except before Christ came and after I came. And so you will begin. So when so that 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 becomes a crucial point for anybody who is called a Christian to understand the the reason why Christ came, because that will now become the basis by which you relate to God on anything. So you will begin to see, as, as an example, the, the Bible talks about, when Jesus was telling us about the Lord's Prayer, he said, he said forgive us our, our sins as we forgive. Forgive everyone who is indebted to us, who has offended or wronged, or wronged us. So basically, what the Bible is saying is that the issue of you relating to people on forgiveness is a function of what you understand about what Christ did. Let me give you an example. I believe that, I believe that, you know, um, every one of us has a, a good heart and, you know, we are quite generous. But assuming that in your account now, you have 20,000 pounds. That's all you have. And somebody took 10,000 pounds either fraudulently or one way or the other. The way, see, you know, and the person, the person took 10,000 pounds from you and refused to pay you back. You, the way you would, when you see that person, you'd be like, ah, if only I can lay my hands on that person. But now assume that while you are still contemplating on that, your bank manager called you and said, you know what? You have been given a billion pounds. And you have an investment that will yield a billion pounds on a yearly basis. The way you will react to that person that owed you 10,000 will be different. Why? Because you understand that you have a billion pounds in your account. And that is the way God sees it when he talks about forgiveness. He's saying that, you know, it is a function of what you think I did for you. Does that make sense? So, so you will be, so you know, there is a man called Abiola in, in what was called Abiola in Nigeria. He was, he was extremely rich. 
and I, I think I came across one of his interviews. And they asked him that, what will you do with all these rats or, I don't know, um, or um, tamarids or something that heats, you know, when tamarids come, they heat, eat, eat things and things like that. He said, he said all these, basically, all these people around you who are sucking out of you at your own expense. He said, he said, the problem why you will be concerned about that is that you don't have enough wealth. He said, he said there is a kind of wealth that you have that the rat will come, eat, 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 and die inside the inside. And you will not feel it. He said, so you are concerned about people that are stealing 10,000, 50,000 pounds, all those kinds. Because, you know, when the money is, is on hand, I don't, I don't have time to think about them. They come, they hit, they defraud themselves, they, they grow old, they leave this world. I am just enjoying myself. That is a man speaking from the understanding of the magnitude of wealth that he had. So the thing that was a, a the thing that somebody who had 10,000 naira in his account would say, I will never forgive you until we get to heaven. The other one is saying, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, because of the understanding of what they had. So when Jesus is saying, forgive us as we forgive those who, forgive, who sin against us. Or you will give Jesus, you see Jesus give um, an illustration about a man that, that was indebted to a king. And that king forgave him all his, all his rights. And that thing expected because of what you know. You two should be able to pass it on. What I'm saying here, not really teaching the Bible, I'm just trying to point out how the Bible uses the cross as a reference point of how he expects you to relate to God and to humanity from that understanding. So, the issue would not be to God is that when you see somebody struggling with, with forgiveness, in the mind of God, they do not understand what happened on the cross. If they did, their attitude would be different. You know, I was thinking about this last night. Yesterday, somebody spoke to me about uh, somebody who's, who's for many years who has been in bitterness over a particular issue, so strong that, you know, the family had to call and say, ah, what is the issue? You know, then I understood all the problem is that that person is a Christian father, you know, the, the, a pastor, but, but the issue is that they do not understand. So when God will not be asking them to say, why did you not forgive this person? He's saying that he will state that from the basis of what he did for you. Does that help us? God grant us grace in the name of Jesus Christ. So also again, when it comes to our attitude of worship and thanksgiving, the Bible sees it as a reference point of your understanding of what Jesus did. Let's go on, please. So you will see, this is the story of the woman with the alabaster box. And she poured a oil, And she used her hair to wipe the feet of Jesus. And the way she was worshipping, and people, some people were there, they were saying, you know, there were some people who actually invited Jesus, but the way they treated Jesus was just, you know, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm worshiping him, he understands, you know, and things like that. My dad will say that some people have sophisticated hands that they don't, you know, they don't want to clap. You know, or maybe you have ladies that have very long nails, you know, they, they, can't, they can't clap because, hallelujah. So Jesus was saying, now this woman, Jesus was interpreting the way she could understand worship. He said that, therefore, I tell you, our many sins have been forgiven, as our great love has shown, 
However, you, however, um, sorry, but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. So Jesus was saying that the difference between her worshiping me and you just thinking you are doing me a favor in the place of worship is that she she understands something you don't understand. So again, you would see that Jesus is bringing the issue of thanksgiving and using your understanding of the cross to determine how you respond. Determine how you respond. God grant us grace in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's go on, please. Um, so that brings us back to what we tried to push by God's grace last week, understanding of eternity. And, you know, the values that we read this yesterday, the Bible says that the kingdom of God is like is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man has found it, he hid it again, and his joy went, and then his joy in his joy in his joy went around and sold everything he had and bought the field. The reason why I'm discussing last week, just laying foundations as I proceed from there. The reason why he, had, he was able to sell everything was that one, he discovered he had, he had seen a treasure. So if what you understand about Calvary is not something you treasure, then you will, your, limit, your expression of worship will be limited. It is the understanding of treasure that brings such joy inside of you that allows you to say, I will give whatever it is because of what I found. And I was giving the explanation last week when I had some time, you know, that, you know when you bought your car, you were, you were, you can, you can remember the joy that you felt when you were about to buy that car. That was why you waited to go to the back and go and, and go. And. If you see a car that you hate, you, even if they give you for free, you just push it to one side. And that is what the apostles was trying, were kept on trying to lay emphasis on. When they begin to say in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 to 6, the Bible says, Be always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone be considerate in all that you do. Remember that the Lord is coming soon. So they were saying that you know, the basis of their rejoicing and having so much joy is that they know that Jesus is, is coming to And this is where the challenge is at times for us, is that when you are talking about thanksgiving, how do you now get people to give thanks to God in a situation like this? Because when you are talking about eternity, the expectation is that everybody goes with their head bowed down and they go back home. But when David was talking about it, David said in Psalm 51 verse 2, he said, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. So that means there is something that comes from understanding what Christ did that fills your hearts with joy. That fills your heart with joy. And one of the challenges at times that people cannot, you know, before you need, we need to try to sift away. What exactly do you think that Jesus came to do? And this issue is not new to us. It has been from the days of Jesus. That when you read John chapter 6, we, we, at the beginning he talked about Jesus having, um, Jesus multiplying the bread and feeding so many people. And the Bible says in verse 22, the Bible says the next day the crowd that had stayed on the opposite side of the shore of the lake realized that only one boat 
had been there. That, that Jesus had not entered with his disciples, but had gone, but that they had gone, they had gone away alone. Some of, sorry, some of the boats from Cyprus landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread and after the Lord had given them. So basically, people were, they were hunting for Jesus. That was what was happening. These people were hunting for Jesus. So when you go to verse 24, please. When you go to verse 24, the Bible says that once the crowd had realized that neither Jesus or his disciples were there, they got into the boat and they went to Capernaum in search for Jesus. The Bible says that when they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did, did you get, sorry, when did you get here? Jesus answered, verse 26, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you heard the loaves and and had, sorry, had your, and had your fear. So Jesus was basically saying to them, the reason why you are following me, why you are hunting after me, has nothing to do with eternity. You would think that with that kind of um, excitement about God, when they, when they, they would, Jesus would say, oh, no, no, just come in, you guys are okay, welcome. You say, no, the reason why you are following me is a different ballgame. It's very different. And when you go on to, um, let us go to, and Jesus began to talk to them about time. Let's go to verse 61 because of our time, please. The Bible says, and they began to grumble, and the Bible says that, Aware that his disciples were grumbling, Jesus said, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Basically, he began to tell them that I am not here to keep on giving you bread. I am here to give you something that can last eternity. And what, what was the response? They got offended. The same people that left their house, rushed everywhere for Jesus, looking for him, when he began to introduce eternity to them, they became offended. And you would see, as we read on in verse 66, the Bible says, from this time, many of the, his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So the crowd that followed Jesus, that paid their fare, to go and look for him wherever he is. And accused him and said, no, we have been searching everywhere for you. These same people, when they came to eternity, to question about eternity, they got offended. When you, when, at times when you get to a point where, okay, like for example, the servant of God was talking to me and was speaking to a pastor also who was a white, he was a white man, elderly man, he's quite elderly, so he's been in the ministry for long. And the man was trying to understand, he was trying to say to him, he said, he said, I do this online program. I discovered that when people do preach, or when we do preaching, people don't turn up. But as soon as I begin prayer sessions, you will begin to see the, uh, what's it called? The numbers go up. This person, I know that at times when he's doing his program, you have about 100, 200 people live watching and things like that. But when he starts his preaching, you have about 40. Even yesterday, I think it was about 20. But as soon as the prayer begins to go up to issues of the family, 
you will begin to see the numbers go up. So he was not saying to that man, he said, the problem why we are finding it difficult to continue preaching is that we understand that the audience we are dealing with are not ready to hear. They want you to come and tell them the issues of their life and get things sorted and as far as they are concerned. And you will see that at times it takes the grace of God for a servant of God in this season to not dance to the tune of what is going on. So, the Bible says, then, he said, um, the Bible says, from the following one, do you want, sorry, do you, do you not want to, do you not want to live too? Do you, Jesus spoke to the twelve. So Jesus spoke to the twelve and said, are you also going? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So we saw an incident of people paying their way through to meet Jesus. But as long as soon as the conversation began to not focus on this world alone, but was talking about eternity, they left. Luke chapter 12, we're going to just see one more, and we just kind of, one more story. Luke chapter 12, from verse 1. The Bible says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so that they were trampling on one another. So people were so much, they wanted to speak, hear Jesus. They were literally, it was a stampede. So the Bible says, Jesus began to speak to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Basically, what was talking about? You know when you have yeast? Yeast gives you a false impression of what it is. When you, you know, when you put yeast in something, that thing will grow. But actually, there is nothing inside of it. So yeast is like a balloon. So Jesus, Jesus began to speak to his disciples. So it seems that people were rushing, stampeding, and some were saying, "Ah, sir, they have come to listen." Jesus was like saying to them. Be careful of the yeast. Because it will appear like they are here for something, but they are not. And you will begin to see as Jesus began to lead on, he began to talk about eternity. Then, even in verse 6, even in verse 6, let's just, let's just quickly look at verse 6. The Bible says that not even, uh, not even five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, every hair of your head, of, of, of your head, a whole number, do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So Jesus was saying to them, I know that you need these things, but don't worry. Those things will kick in. But what thing I want you to do is to focus on what I'm telling you about eternity. And you will see that in verse 13. The Bible says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide my inheritance for me. I don't know how Jesus will feel. You just finished talking to them about how you will not focus alone on the things of this world. And somebody raised his hand and he said, Sir, the reason why I came through Stampede why I was climbing on people was so that I can get you to go and help me solve my family issue. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me judge between you guys? Then he said to them, watch out and guard and watch and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Because your life does not consist in that alone. 
What am I trying to point out when I quoted these two scriptures? Is that if you don't understand the value system of God, you'll be excited over things that are irrelevant to eternity. Though in the church. When they say, let us give God thanks for our, you know, like Benny Hinn used to say something. Benny Hinn, for those who don't know, he has a healing ministry and things like that. And it's interesting that when people give their life to Christ, Benny Hinn will say, the greatest miracle has just occurred. But yet, most people think the greatest miracle in Benny Hinn's program is people carrying wheelchair and throwing it away and say, I can walk. But yet, you see him constantly say that the greatest miracle has just happened. The question is this. Before you can be grateful about the question of eternity, are you do you really understand the value of a soul? Because Jesus said, what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? I was talking to somebody about, about you know, about certain things is that, see, one thing I have learned about God, there are certain things you don't necessarily need to I get the facts, maybe I might be wrong, see, this is my own understanding. You may have different aspects that God has called you to. But there is nobody that God has called into a ministry of only raising business people. Once you don't, if you don't understand that, you would think that the reason why God has called you is to raise business people. But if you raise business people, they are good, but they have no value to eternity. There's a man called John Maxwell. He's a leadership expert. I was listening to him when he was talking about evangelism. He said the amount of people he has led to Christ in his conferences are more than those that they do in his local church. He, he understands that even though he's speaking to world leaders, he understands that the end game is not that he would bring businessmen and say, oh God, I have read 50,000 multi-billionaires across the world. And everyone will look at them and say, of what value is this to eternity? That is why when he was talking about, at times when he's talking about his, his leadership, when he goes to these conferences and you have people from all over the world and when he's doing his, he used to say something, when he's doing his teachings and he would just say that, you know, um, a wise man once said that, um, just give an example, a wise man, as you give a quotation from scriptures that sounds, that meets what he's saying. And you ask him and you say, John, who's that person that you don't want to know? Then he said he discovered that people who are, I see the people who are this, at this level of business, they want to know every single thing you're talking to them about. They want to know where you're getting what you're saying from. He said, I said, you don't want to know. And, you know, and they go on and they go on. And he said, oh, a book, in one of the books that I read, he says this is this, and people raise up and said, which book is that? Then he said, he said, you don't want to know. Then, what what thing that we don't want to do? He said, well, he said, he said, well, he said if I tell you now, you just, uh, and he said, you know what? It's the Bible. He said, well, I'm not here to preach the Bible to you, you know. I'm here to, you are here on business um, and things like that. So then he keeps on going and he said, he said, he said, he said, he said, he said when I, he said, well, he said, there are certain times that when, when I am teaching or when, when I'm preparing my notes, I get, I get wisdom. You know, I, I, my teacher comes in and he begins to lay some certain wisdom to me. And it will, be, it will be like, you know, and people are like, no, Max, we want to, we want to learn from that kind of thing you don't want to learn. He said, why, what do you mean? I said, he said, who are you talking about? I said, I said, it's the Holy Spirit. But, you know, we are, this is not a church. So I'm not talking to you and things like that. And John will say, on so many occasions, after the conference, 
he will tell people that, you know, I still have a little bit more of you know, where I get all these things from. But if you want to be, if you want to know more about it, then you can see me um, when we're having dinner. I'll be standing by the door, close to the toilet or whatever it is. He said at times he gets there a little bit later. He said, if you see the queue of people standing to speak to him, and he said, one after another, I begin to lead them to Christ. He understood that if he only led business leaders and they have no value in eternity, as far as God is concerned, is a waste of space. But that doesn't mean that he will not drop his place of where God has called him and not come himself to a pastor. What am I trying to say is this, as we just, is that wherever God has called you, do you understand that God is not looking for, God is not looking for a businessman or a teacher or a, a, a doctor that is that their job is only to save the flesh and not give consider the impact of eternity on that life. When you begin to understand that, God will begin to teach you how to go about it. And that is why I made that statement. I don't make sound because it's that God is not expecting. People say that God has called me to be raised. It is because you have that person has not understood the mission in the heart of God. That is why that person thinks. That as long as I am raising businessmen everywhere, as long as I am, you know, helping married couples and things like that, that is my own anointing, that's my own ministry. God is not interested in helping married couples that you will end up in them. That's why Jesus went to and Jesus said that, you know, Jesus said in Mark, Mark chapter 8, verse 36 and 37, he said, what, he said, he said, he said, what good is it? For somebody to gain the whole world and lose his soul. God grant us grace in the name of Jesus Christ. Just a quick one as we just move on quickly. This is the way the Bible sees it. In John chapter 3, is a scripture that we normally read. John chapter 3, we look from, um, from verse 2. The Bible says that somebody came to Jesus and said, how can I be born again? I said, how can I enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus replied and said, I tell you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Then verse, verse 5, he went on to say that, he went on to say, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God except they are born of water and of the spirit. And he went on to verse 6, he said, humans can only produce human life. The Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Don't be surprised when I say to you, you must. So basically what the Bible is saying that when it comes to eternity, there is no other way or option. The Bible says you must be born again. The Bible says when we go home, Jesus said, no one has ever come to the Father and returned but the Son of Man who has come down from heaven. And as the sun, and, and, and as Moses lifted up the bronze or, or, or snake, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. For, so that everyone who believes in him would not, would not, um, would, would, would have eternal life. Then for God to love the world and he gave his only begotten son. So basically what the Bible is saying is this. There is no way to enter eternity, eternal life, Except by Jesus. It is scriptural. 
this is what Jesus himself said. Why? And I've explained this before. Why? Because you cannot, there is no way you can pay for your sins. Or, there is no way you can repair, let's put it that way, what sin are damaged in your life. I'm not talking about physical, I'm talking about your own state as a human being, as a spirit, a spirit being. See, the day that this, if, if I break, okay, let's go, you have scratches on this, on this, um, what's it called, on this keyboard. Now, no matter what it is, you cannot sell this keyboard. No matter how much I prepare it, it cannot be equal to the original or to the brand new. Do you get what I'm trying to say? So the only thing that can be equal to the brand new is what? A brand new one. So no matter how much I try to decorate it, its value cannot be the same. So you cannot prepare this one and take it back to Yamaha and say, Yamaha, this is brand new. Yamaha will tell you that, no, when you took it out of this place, you brought it brand new. Now, the problem is that there is only one template to create a new Yamaha. Am I still making sense? So that means that the only way you can get a brand new one is from that template. As human beings, we were created in the image of God. Sin came and has damaged me here and there. There is no way I can do repairs that will be equal to the brand new. So that is why I said that, that's why the Bible is saying that no matter how much you think that you can repair for your sins, you cannot repair it to the original value. Because for you to make the original value, you need the actual templates to reproduce a new one. That's why the Bible says about Jesus, the Bible talks about him that the man without no sin. So that means that he was still in, he is still in the original state. In the, the Bible calls, the Bible says, Jesus is the express image of God. You were created in the image of God. So that is why the Bible is saying, there is no other way. It's not that you are not trying. But he said, the problem is that you don't understand what is gone wrong. You are trying to clean this off, clean that up, say, you know, it's okay, it all looks good, until you take it to Yamaha. Yamaha says, we like all the efforts that you have done, but this thing is not the same as the way it was created. Does that make sense to us? What, but what everybody is doing is saying, I oh, know if you clean this place, clean that place, oh, you know, put it inside the bubble wrap and give it to Yamaha. And Yamaha will say, ah, you, know, you can bubble wrap it, you can do everything, it can never be the same. That's why when David will say, In sin, did my mother conceive me? He didn't say, I sinned. He said, in sin. That means that I came out in a, a deformed state already. <laughs> so the fact that you are born, you don't need to do anything. The fact that you are born, now, now we do not stop at that. We are now scratching it there, scratching it there, scratching it there. Some of us have revamped it. So this one that's also said do, is saying, Ray. <laughs> you can't to say. 
you know, and you want to pass back that as well. So when people say that God is so harsh, he's not. But what he's just saying is that, see, the problem is that people, we don't, people have not really understood why did Jesus have to come. Moses, Moses was powerful. Elijah was there. All these great prophets were there. But why did Jesus have to come? Because the issue Jesus, that's why when Jesus was talking to that man, you think I'm here to come and distinguish between uh, you hit, you didn't hit, all this kind of stuff, you know? People say all sorts of things. People say, you know, when Jesus was alive, you know, there was slavery going on. Why did Jesus not talk about that? Because that's not what he came to talk about. That's not what he came to talk about. Because you think he came to come and talk about that's the problem. But that's not what he came to talk about. And he gave it clear. Jesus was living. Jesus lived under occupation. Do you know when Jesus was alive? The Israelites were being ruled by the Romans. And Jesus was living in that place. And he did not say that you this people, what you are doing is bad. Because that is not what he came to do. So all this social justice system that we are packaged to become part of salvation, as far as God is concerned, I will give you an illustration as, as, we, as we just bring this to a point. I'm just trying to lay emphasis on the fact of what Christ came to do. Have you ever seen that when a president goes somewhere to go and sign, to go and meet another president, they don't, they don't sign all the documents. It's only one piece of paper that they sign. So if there's an agreement between, okay, like for example, after the Russia issue, um, uh, US is now speaking to this particular country, I forgot, this uh, neighboring country, it's not Cuba, but one of these uh, neighboring countries, that Cuba, or one of these neighboring countries that they've, uh, Venezuela, that they've abandoned and things like that. So they are not trying to get oil from them. What I'm trying to say is that all would happen that Biden needs to go there and they're going to stand and sign a piece of paper. But that piece of paper would determine every other kind of relationship they have in that place. What I'm saying is that a president does not come and say, okay, they are selling, um, okay, like Nigeria wants to establish a new contract with, with um, UK. The Nigerian president does not come and say, okay, how much are you selling petrol? Oh, two gallons. Okay, let's let's note it here. You call, okay, Nigeria was there. He came, they did not give him visa. Okay, let's note that there. They are not there to talk about all those kind of stuff. What they are there to do as presidents is to come and assign a ship that says, on this basis, every other transaction will be done. So when Jesus went to the cross and Jesus said, it is finished, what he's saying is that that basis of signature will now begin the basis by which every other relationship that you are dealing with will be based on. So when people say that, you know, oh, why did Jesus not talk about this? Because why, why don't you ask the prime minister that came? They, as soon as they, they slapped one Polish man down there, why did you not speak about it in your, in your, in your conference? Because that's not what they came to do. Is that, is that not bad? Is that, is that bad? Yes, it is. But he doesn't have the time to talk about every single penny that goes around. God grants on grace in the name of Jesus Amen. Christ. So as we... Let's just go to Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Now, as... On understanding that what, as I... You know, the little that God has helped me to share with is that when you now read it, the Bible says, He who did not spare his own son, that is God, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him give, generously give us all things? So, what the Bible is saying is that as far as God is concerned, you want healing. It comes along with Jesus. You want, you are thanking, thanking him for long life. It comes along with Jesus. So it's as if you went to McDonald's 
you ordered burger and chips. You now, when you wanted to eat, you now, you, you now said, ah, you now went to the, you, the only thing you took out of the place was ketchup. When a man gives God thanks and disregards what Christ has done, it's like a man that turned up at McDonald's, ordered the whole package, and when he was about to leave, left all the things that he bought there and took ketchup. Whereas you can eat your full meal and not even take ketchup. But you can take ketchup without, am I making sense? And that's what the Bible says. They said, along with him. Along with him. When you are giving God thanks, are you conscious of what Christ has done? Or are you more excited about the new car that you bought? Or sorry, the new job that you got? Or maybe the new house that you have bought? Or maybe whatever it is that what Christ has done? God grant us grace in the name of Jesus Christ. Going to read um, Hebrews. Let's just go to Hebrews. I'm, I'm skipping scriptures now. Let's go to Hebrews chapter chapter 14. Four, sorry, for verse 14. The Bible says, So then, since we have this high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Jesus, the Son of God, let us boldly family, let us hold family. So let us hold family to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all the all, all of the same tests we do, yet he did not sin. So, now why the Bible said yet he did not sin? The Bible is still pointing out that this lamb doesn't have defect. He's saying that so let us now come boldly to the throne of grace. There we will receive mercy and find grace to help us in the, in, in, in the time we need it most. So what the Bible is saying that you just don't enter the presence of God that way. You are conscious that you have an high priest. It is on the basis, see, the, the people of Israel will never come before God. It is their high priest. They only appear before God through their high priest. So he's saying that now that Jesus is now our high priest, the one who paid the sacrifice, when we are coming before God, we need to be conscious of what he has done. And how do, we, how do we do that? Or One of the ways we do that is by thanksgiving. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14 to 15, the Bible says that, the Bible says, therefore, he said, for there is no for there is no permanent city for us here on earth. We are longing for the city which is to come. Let us then always offer praise to God as our sacrifice through Jesus, which is the offering presented by our lips that confesses him as Lord. So when God is listening to your thanksgiving, he's asking that in this thanksgiving, where is the acknowledgement of what Jesus did? That is why it is not all to bad worship. That is worship before God. Let's read in Amplified, please. He says, For we have no lasting city, but we are seeking a city which is to come. Through him, therefore, let us at all times offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our, of our of, which is the fruit of of lips that thankfully acknowledge, confess, 
glorify his name. So in your worship, are you acknowledging the death of Christ? In your worship, are you confessing? That is why I love that song that we were singing, Jesus. Are you, are you acknowledging what he has done? When that those bases, these bases are not met, that offering of thanksgiving has no eternal consequence. And as we come to the place of thanksgiving today, is that God is expecting that you acknowledge in your worship what Christ has done. Once you, once you understand that, there are some songs you will not sing again. There are some worship songs that you will never sing again. Because they do not meet this criteria. They may carry people, people may be excited, but it is not acknowledging what Christ has done. It is not acknowledging what Christ has done. And as we, and one thing that we do is that when we raise our hearts and in worship, we are free, we are we are connecting to God because there is something in every human heart. Someone was asking me this question a couple of weeks ago. There is there is everything in every human heart that is seeking for God. No matter who you are, you may feel it with all kinds of things. But there is that thing inside of you that is saying, I need something greater than this. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3. It's the last scripture that we'll have. He said, No, no. The Bible says that he has made everything beautiful and appropriate in his time. He has he has also planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart, a mysterious longing, a mysterious longing which, which, which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. Yet, man cannot find out or comprehend or grasp what God has done. At times people say, you know, I just don't know. There's, there is a gap in my mind. I just feel that, you know, I just, I just feel there's something deeper. The problem is that God has created, when every man was manufactured, there was, so I hope, there was a plug that is left empty. And no matter how much some of these things have battery, that thing may be playing. That thing may be playing, but with time, it will die out. At times, so many people are still going on because it is still playing. But what they don't know is that actually, there is a gap in their hearts that is longing for eternity. And people will begin, people will begin to, and that is why you see some people will say, you know, my home is just to live for cars. I buy cars, latest cars, and things like that. I just feel satisfied. But at, at the rush of everything, at the end, they still discover there is something actually missing because eternity is longing. We have a privilege of connecting eternity now and not keep rushing after anything. You know, and there was a man that I think he won a lot of medals. He said, They raced to the top. He said, Until when I got to the very top of my career, that is when I knew there was nothing at the top. 
and I'm looking down and I'm seeing all these young people rushing up, saying there's something at the top. And I'm trying to tell them there is nothing here. I'm not saying no pursue your careers. But what God is saying, you cannot substitute the place of God for heaven. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. Have a blessed week.